This is All the Cool Parts, number 40. This time on All the Cool Parts, Brad Wells and Roomful of Teeth, Part 2. Welcome back to All the Cool Parts, number 40, and uh, we are very happy to have a return guest, Mr. Brad Wells, director of Roomful of Teeth. What's up, Brad? Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Yeah, uh, thanks for coming back. And uh, you guys have been, I'm sure, very busy lately with uh, the release of your second album, Render. Uh, you just got back from Turkey. How was that? That's right. It was wonderful. Beautiful country. Yeah. Um, and how are you guys? Are you guys received? Uh, I mean, how are you guys received over there? Is it different? The audience is different than American audiences? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think it all depends on who it is. You know, but I, I feel like people if they if they're in the room with the with the music they tend to respond pretty pretty strongly and and often it's the the college students or the composers or the musicians who who really at least express to us how much they love it but you know kids get into it and older people it's yeah it's it hasn't i haven't noticed dramatic differences in the the couple of um journeys outside of the u.s we've done so Mm -hmm. far yeah, yeah. You know, I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, well, l- last time, you know, we were talking about your first album and uh, which was, you know, it was wildly successful, like a, a hugely successful debut. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, and this goes for any artist of any genre, you know, when they have a hugely successful debut, then you come to that point where you're starting to talk about the follow-up and how did you guys approach that you know when you first sat down to really talk about it because that can be hard for any artist who has a really really successful debut yeah you know I, I think we started um talking about the second album before before the first album had sort of Fully gotten the recognition that it did. I, th- I think. I think it was before the, the Grammy. It might have been after Caroline's Pulitzer, but um, it was. It was primarily just talking about the music we're excited about getting out into the world. And um, for me, it, it was about 
trying to fashion a listen, listening experience that had some um, ha- had a different trajectory, and and especially given the the rep that I was seeing um, get good responses, and that I was I was really falling in love with, and um, the group was getting sort of building a relationship with, l- looking at that rep and and trying to imagine which pieces in which order um, would would make the most sense for a, for a next album. So it, it wasn't like it, I wasn't all that concerned about, I think largely on the strength of that music, about whether the album would be a worthy follow-up. It, it was more, I, I just want to keep keep doing this. And in some yeah. ways, because a lot of that music came out of the, the same Mass Mocha residencies and I knew it was going to be an, another compilation of different composers' works. In some ways, I knew it would be a, a kind of close relative to the first album, and didn't sweat that. I thought okay, that's just the way it is. And in some ways, we made that explicit, like by hiring the same visual artist to do the artwork, um, and I communicated to him that same thought that there is a, a relationship between these first two albums, and it might, when we get to our third, we might take a, a, a harder turn in some direction that will distinguish the third album from the first and second um, more dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you probably handled that the right way. I mean, basically just, you know, continuing to do what you do and not worry so much about, Oh, you know, is it going to be as successful and blah, 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 all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, uh, another thing I wanted to ask is, uh, you know, when you first, uh, we, when you were first getting this group going and trying to get the name out and uh, trying to get gigs and et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, now that your name is out there, um, how has that changed? You know, it hasn't made things easier or, or harder or a mix of both. Or, I mean, how's that, how's that changed the, hmm. the group? That's a, that's a, that's a great question. I, you know, I, I think it's made things both easier and harder. I mean, it's, it's it's great when uh, pieces can get repeated performances and and tighten up because of the the kind of um, sustained relationship that the group has doing the piece numerous times in numerous contexts and and the 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 way pieces evolve gets gets really interesting and, and exciting. Um, but there are all sorts of pressures on the group in terms of you know, can we can we do this performance here? Can we find a couple other performances that can make that thing a tour and make sure everybody can get paid? Um, what if two singers have have a uh, a conflict and and can't be there? Can right. we get their subs into the picture? And and if their subs are in the picture, what's that mean in terms of rehearsals? So, um, it's it's made things more complicated. I mean, in 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 a way, I feel like that's harder easier um, <laughs> right you know it's just like the work the, the the effort is focused on different things than just like as m- more earlier it was planting seeds as you said getting the word out making you know introductions and it's still that just to a large degree especially outside of the u.s but um yeah it's just more complicated yeah well that's i mean that's kind of what i thought you know when everybody starts getting more successful things start to get tougher in that way mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. yeah yeah um yeah let's uh 
let's go on to talk about the these excerpts from the record. Right. And um, the uh, you know I'm just going to go in order here. We have six excerpts, and uh, we're going to be able to hit all the composers on the CD. Um, the first one is the first track on the album Vesper Sparrow by Missy Mazzoli. She's one of uh, three return composers from the first album. And uh, she described... Did, did she... Well, I'm trying to think. Is there a piece of hers on the first album? Is there? Am I on crack? I think, is there not one? <laughs> I think you might be on crack. I'm sorry, Anthony. <laughs> okay. There's, I'm thinking it totally. Thinking yeah. something. Okay. She's, she's not one. <laughs> That's right. Sarah, Sarah Kirkland Snyder has a piece on the first album, but doesn't on this one. Okay, Miss, right. Missy didn't on the first and does on that on this one. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. Do your research. Um, it's for me. Okay. Uh, so this piece, Vesper Sparrow, uh, Missy Mazzoli. Um, she it's okay. just somebody just wrote a review in which they they credit me with playing drums on on the. Oh, Lally nice. You don't know how bad that would have been if I had been a drummer. <laughs> awesome. Um, so she describes this as an amalgamation of imaginary birdsong and Sardinian overtone singing. And mm-hmm. uh, could you describe a little bit the the technique of the Sardinian overtone singing? Is And is this something that was, I assume there's something that was also used um, on the first album. It, it it actually wasn't. This is the technique okay, okay. That's, that's that's new to the group um, for this album. Um, it's it's related actually uh, it, physiologically to what the Tuvans do. Um, it's it's basically varying degrees of kind of pressed um, pressedness in the the vocal folds right around where your vocal folds close and and the the larynx right above above that. Um, they constrict it, they provide a little more pressure, and in the Sardinian case, they, they use these nonsense rhythmic syllables, the bim-bams, bim-beams, um, and set up different patterns that accompany a lead voice, which is more or less what she does in her piece. Um, but they, with the, in the Sardinian context, it's, it's four guys singing always, and um, the lowest and the second to lowest voices use two, two different, um, techniques. Uh, and, and curiously, they're both, those two different techniques are also different techniques in the Tuvan tradition. So it was, it was really interesting to see, um, this island of singers using their voice in, in very similar ways to the way the Tubans do. Um, and, and I don't know of any other cultures that, uh, that do this. Um, yeah. And this, uh, I, I assume that, um, you created another workshop for this, mm-hmm. like, yeah. um, brought in, you know, an expert, uh, singer right. and yeah. Worked with them. Yeah. Yeah. We worked with a quartet called the Tenores de Arturu. They're actually American singers, but they're, um, they're probably the best, um, the the best practitioners of this technique outside of Sardinia, and they've okay. spent a good amount of time in Sardinia now. And, um, yeah, we learned a lot from them. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, this piece is such an amalgamation of vocal styles. I mean, I think just from listening to the whole record as a whole, mm-hmm. um, you know, the first record, it seemed like, uh, and you can agree or disagree with me or 
or whatever. But um, on the first record, it seems like the the various styles are a little more starkly presented. Mm. But here mm-hmm. on this record, it seems like I don't know if this is through just your ex- you know all of your experiences with these styles now. Um, it just they they seem a little more seamlessly integrated, you know, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like they're kind of melding together more now into some sort of cohesive whole. I don't know. Yeah. Would you? Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I, and I think it makes sense since the first year or so, it's like th- this summer we're studying yodeling and tuba and yeah. Okay, and and the pieces that were generated out of that study um, foregrounded those vocal approaches. Um, as a and now five years in somebody wants to include some yodeling, okay, that's, that's an option, but it's not necessarily what the whole piece is about. Yes. Um, so I think, I think you're exactly right. I think that, and it's a, just a natural evolution. It's not something anybody has talked about or directed the composers toward. Right. Well, it's an interesting thing to hear because uh, just it is an evolution. of a st- It's almost like, you know, the first album you were like you said learning all these styles and now it's gelling into kind of a room full of teeth sound almost mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know yeah very interesting um yeah anything else you want to say about this before we hear it no i i i love this piece i mean i love all the, the pieces on this album but this this one i i think um i i, I think it's a, a wonderful sort of strange world that it creates. Um, it, it immediately for me creates a kind of new listening place. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, one question I did want to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if, if you know the answer to this or not, but um, you know, the title of the piece is Vesper Sparrow. Is this in any, is this related in any way to the album she just put out called yeah, Vespers it, that, for a new dark age? I, I thought about that too, and I haven't had a chance to ask her, but I'm, I'm fairly certain that it's just a um, a coincidence. Okay. I think it might be the title of that poem whose text she she used. Um. Okay. All right. Well, let's hear this. This is uh, Vesper Sparrow by Missy Mazzoli. <laughs> And we 
just heard Vesper Sparrow by Missy Mazzoli. We're going to move on to our second excerpt. Uh, it's called The Beginning And by Wally Gunn. This is part one of a three-part piece called The Ascendant. And, uh, you know, this is the first... Well, I don't know if this is the first time you guys have worked with instruments other than voices, but it's the first time on one of your albums mm-hmm. that has something right. other than... So what made you decide to break the the acapella wall. If you <laughs> um, I, again, it was, it was primarily a function of how much we loved the, this piece. Um, and the, the first time we performed it was at Princeton University at a residency a few years ago. And I think because of the, the time pressures, Wally just had a pre-recorded drum track that we sang over, um, which and, and we we performed it one more time subsequently using that pre-recorded drum track, um, and we loved the piece even with that. But the idea of having an actual live drummer was very appealing, and we talked to um, Wally about it, and and he brought in his good friend and an amazing set drummer, Jason Truding, um, for the session. And since then, we've performed it several times with. Um, with live drums and it, it really we all just just um, are, are yeah in love with this piece yeah yeah, yeah. Um, it, I, I wasn't even gonna bring this up but I actually played this for my sixth grade choir huh what <laughs> they, they, they loved it they were they were fascinated by it cool um, and I asked them questions like all right how many people do you think are in this choir 50 70 (laughs) you know uh it's like no no there's just there's only eight um but uh yeah they they loved it yeah that's great yeah so i think it has an accessibility that you know many people can can get into Mm -hmm. um and i you know i like how this piece is kind of you know it's a multi-movement piece you would expect it to be presented all at once you know on the album but it's sort of interspersed kind of like you did with the, with Caroline Shaw's piece on the first album. Yep. Is, does this come from kind of a, I don't know, kind of a mixtape mentality? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I think it comes from a wanting to program creatively for one thing, just make for an interesting listening experience. I, I also think um, with Caroline and with, with Wally, since the number of pieces per composer is different, you know, Caroline had four on the first album and no other composer had that many. And on this one, Wally has three, no other composer has that, that many individual tracks. I think just in my kind of wanting, wanting everybody to get sort of equal attention, um, I wanted to, to separate those or at least entertain the idea of separating those pieces so that that one composer didn't dominate in in a way that they they might if they were all in a block of 20 or 30 minutes right Um, right well uh, yeah it's an interesting way of just organizing the tracks you know mm -hmm. it it did kind of remind me of sort of a mm mixtape you know mm -hmm. the way the the way the album flows you know yeah um and I think for for me, I, I from the minute I started thinking about this album, I, I I liked the idea of Wally's last tune finishing the album, and um, and since it, I, I expected it would be the only piece on the album with drums, to have one 
um, to, to, to drop into that world occasionally through the album gave it a sort of narrative coherence. Yes. You know? Start with something that has drums and then leave that world, return to it momentarily, leave it, and then come back at the end. Yes. Yeah, definitely. It does. Um, yeah, some of the things about the piece that just caught me, um, mm. the the male voices in the beginning, I mean, they're so on. It almost sounds like a sampler or, or mm-hmm. like an electronic keyboard. They're so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I love that at the words, uh, we are finally unwound. That's yeah. where everything changes. You know, the texture changes. The, the women's voices sound like, I don't know, they, they get a little more free and, I don't know, unwound, I guess. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, what are you, you know, what do you think of this, this piece? This, this track? This track, particular? yeah, this track. I, I, yeah, I, I think that that sound that you're picking up on the men is is really cool thing that actually kind of emerged um, in the interaction between the singers and Wally early on, um, and and I love that he he doubles women's voices really beautifully. The, the Caroline and Virginia unisons um, on this movement and then some others. They they find a a color that's just so satisfying it's, yes. it's not classical it's not pop but it's somewhere in between that's um you know what it kind of reminded me of when they come in uh when they first come in with the text mm-hmm. um with you know by the last tree in the last summer mm-hmm. that part mm-hmm. it sort of reminded me of like an andrew sisters kind of sound huh yeah 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 i don't know i mean it's not but it's sort there's something about it it's true kind of, yeah um yeah well let's check it out uh this is the beginning and by wally gunn Oh, oh, oh. 
just heard the beginning and by Wally Gunn, and we're going to move on to our third excerpt, High Done No Why To by William Brattell. Uh, I love this guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. It's so good to hear that. We do, too. Yeah. He's, he's not the, the easiest um, uh, first listen for a lot of people I know. Well, um, you know, he his... I I feel kind of bad that the only two pieces of his that I've heard are the you know the ones that you guys have done. But I mean, mm. after listening to the second one, I'm just like, I have to hear more of this guy's music. You do, um, yeah. Check yeah. check it out and spend some time with it because because his um his his al- full length albums are really quite amazing. Yeah, I love them. Yeah, yeah. um, you know, it, it's, I think with this piece more than any other one on the album, um. You know, even though I'm only playing an excerpt on the show, I mean, this is a piece that you really have to experience all the way through because mm-hmm. it's a journey. I mean, it's a surreal, seemingly non sequitur journey, but that, you know, it somehow all makes sense at the end, you know? Exactly. And that's kind yeah. of the story with a lot of his music is it, it, it feels like it's, it's just a, um, a progression of non sequiturs, but but it works, and especially if you if you take the time to to get to know the piece, it starts to really cohere um, in a way that that makes complete sense. Yeah, what was this piece um, written at the same time as the other one? It was. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. They. I mean, they definitely sound complementary to each other. A lot of the vocal techniques that are being used, mm-hmm. but they are distinctive pieces. Right. Um. And the um, are the only words through the whole thing are high done no why to. I I I cannot see I cannot see and high done no why to. Okay okay. I cannot see. So, but very yeah. few, yeah, very, very few. few words. Yeah. And he says that um, these were sort of I don't know the the words were kind of. Um, came out of a phonetic translation of an Inuit throat singing song. Is that right? Um, actually, out of, a, out of the name of one of the Inuit throat okay. singing teachers we were working with that summer. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, this piece goes through uh, so many highs and lows, so many interesting sections. I love the one part where uh, it's at the end of the excerpt that I'm going to play where they're going through all this really complex uh counterpoint and and just you know on a dime changes and all this stuff and then you have this one moment where everybody rises up into this big unison hmm. it's a really powerful part um hmm. yeah yeah um anything else you want to say about this or, or no you- i mean it, it, one one thing that i think was especially great about this is how um it's it, Bill's music. You can hear is 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 virtuosic. It's tricky, tough stuff. Yeah. Um, and the initial assemblage of it takes takes time. Um, but this piece in particular, and the recording. I mean, comparing the recording process of his first uh, the the tune that's on the first album to this is like not that the the first one took a a ton of time. We weren't pulling our hair out, but it. It took time, and um, and this one almost took no time at all. I think because the group had performed the piece 
the piece so much um, it had wow. just gotten into their voices and their ears and their bodies and it was like two or three takes we're done um, oh wow it was very <laughs> satisfying yeah <laughs> wow um, okay let's listen to this a really yeah I mean highly virtuosic really shows what everyone in that group can do um, this is Hi Done No Why To by William Brittell just heard High Done No Why To by William Brittell. I'm going to move on to excerpt four, Beneath by Caleb Burns. And he was on the first album. That's right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, as was William Brittell. Um, yeah, you know, I thought it was interesting that he says that the title comes from an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if the music was inspired that as well. He doesn't really say, but... Um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, well, that was interesting. Um, it's the longest piece on the disc. Yeah. And it's probably the most meditative, I would say. Um, it, Man, it really shows how far you guys have come with this overtone singing. Mm. I mean, wow. It's, it's, it's really striking. Um, this whole introduction that's, I don't know, at least the first couple minutes is this overtone singing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how many people are doing this? Just two. Just two. Wow. Yeah. Going Sounds back like more. Forth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the excerpt I'm going to play is sort of towards the end of, of the intro, the overtone singing, where the overtone singing is giving way to this kind of repeated, I don't know, almost Reichian motive that kind mm-hmm. of makes up the rest of the piece. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about how, you know, how this piece came about and maybe how you guys approached it or how Caleb approached it? Um, well, it was it was another piece that uh, came out of a residency at 
MassMoCA, Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art. Um, and Caleb knew, he knows the singers very well. He's a singer himself. I think, um, I, I assume that in conceptualizing the piece, he used his own voice to some degree to kind of work out his ideas. It, he might have used his violin, he might have just used his ear, but, but it, at least to me it feels like a, a singer wrote these lines, which is the, the, the best, I think, um, those are the best lines to sing if, you, if, yeah, if yeah. it kind of comes from somebody's body. You know, as opposed to just an abstract idea um, that then gets put into a voice, um, and and in some ways the the piece doesn't read as a difficult piece on the page. The you know figures repeat and they overlap and new ideas come in. There's overlapping and it kind of expands and contracts slowly over the the twelve or so minutes. Um, but it's a tough piece to really get right, and we've performed it off and on. Um, over the years, and and I feel like the group has has um, gotten an understanding and a kind of um, sense from the inside of how to pace it and how it really um, how it really works. And um, and I love the fact that it's on this album. I know we were all hoping it would work out to be on the first album, but because of its length, because my feeling was I didn't feel secure in the group's performance of it yet. Um, I wanted to wait, and and I think both because of their um, sort of deeper understanding and mastery of the piece um, that came out of giving it a little more time, but then also the company that this piece has um, on this album, I'm I'm much happier that it's here as opposed to the first album. It just yeah. kind of helps um, helps keep that more meditative vibe going. Not that every piece is about that, but there's a lot yeah. of that in this album. Well, I think that paid off. I mean, I totally, I think that waiting, that patience mm. totally paid off. And um, it, the piece really does sound, I mean, it it sounds comfortable and, mm -hmm. and effortless and flowing and, you know, all that. Good. Yeah. Just, I, I, I would guess all those things that you want it to do, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, let's hear it. This is uh, Beneath by Caleb Burns.
And we just heard Beneath by Caleb Burns. And we're going to move on to some guy, Brad Wells. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, otherwise by Brad Wells. So um, I'm a little excited because now, you know, I get to talk to you as a composer. This cool. is this yeah. is cool. I mean, uh, until I saw this piece live, I didn't realize you composed. But um, the concert that I saw, which was well before this album came out um was that the ravinia concert it was a concert in uh at depaul oh University. right, right. yeah and um in indiana but uh yeah the concert i saw this piece uh it it really stood out um mm. how do you say his name deshaun 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 yep, burton his solo at the end i mean it's very powerful i mean you can get a sense of the power in his voice from the recording, but man, until you hear him do it live, mm-hmm. you yeah. can't really get a sense of how much power is in this guy's voice. That's true. Yeah. It was, uh, man, it was really impressive. I mean, you could feel um, his voice in the audience. Hmm. It made a big That's impression. Great. It made a huge impression. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, this is this is your piece, so... Uh, you know, could you kind of talk about it, kind of talk about the vocal techniques that you use, the influences and just the sort of influences that went into this piece? Sure. Um, the, I, I think um, I mean, one of the things that that was an initial spark for for the idea of Rimful of Teeth was getting to know the Bulgarian women's choral repertoire that you know, started coming out in the in the eighties on on some of those nonsuch recordings, and and that kind of brassy, belty sound and and lots of unisons and sometimes moving um, pretty quickly um, in asymmetrical rhythms, uh, close harmonies. I I just love that sound. Um, when I got to know it, I was teaching at a high school and I brought in some of the music to the uh, the women and they loved singing. Um, that way they made they felt differently about their voices um when they could sing in that louder brassier way so that that sort of became a a color option that i i knew i wanted composers to make use of when i started this group and um and some composers early on have made use of the use of that sound but not as explicitly as i was hoping would would emerge um so that was one of the draws uh, to to use that sound in, in otherwise. But then the other was Deshaun's remarkable, powerful bel canto operatic singing as, yeah, as, yeah. and and his amazing range. I mean, he has a range of basically a, a tenor, um, but he's clearly a, a baritone mm-hmm. uh, or a bass baritone, and 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 having that monster talent in the group untapped i thought well i i want to try see what what we can come up with and maybe a kind of duet feel with several of of the women in this kind of bulgarian belty mode um maybe that could could be a nice foil for his operatic sound um and and i brought in a couple of sketches uh one day to to our work and and they sang through and i thought okay i think this has promise went back flesh it out and and the piece has has been working well i think on 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 our touring programs yes um yeah 
yeah, it, it feels good. And the other, I mean, the other thing just that, that happens in that piece that I want to keep pushing both myself as a composer and then I'll, you know, encourage other composers if, if they're so inclined, um, is to, to do is kind of orchestrate in ways that combine colors. Um, you know, something that composers have been thinking about and playing with for, you know, a couple centuries at least in the instrumental world, but it's not something that comes naturally, I think, for composers of the voice because we haven't thought about it as this really rich color field the way we do the orchestral um, uh, set of instruments. Yes. You know? Um, so, so I'm still, it's, it's almost like I want to take the group back into the laboratory and say, well, what does this color sound like next to that color? And if we, you know, stack the chord in a particular way, what's the result? Um, cause I think there's all sorts of potential there that's, that has yet to be tapped. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm really glad you brought that Bulgarian sound back. Um, you know, there was one piece on your first album, Kizasa, right? That oh, really right. used that's that. Right. Yep. And um, yeah, I love that sound too. I just, it's such a great sound. Um, yeah. Was there also the Sardinian overtone? You were, there was a lot of yep. mimbas and all that yep. stuff. And yeah. Insane. Yeah. Taking a Sardinian sort of inspired groove. Yeah. And just all this stuff, <laughs> you know, it's, it's almost crazy to think about it. Like, well, if you talk about it and you say, okay, I'm going to write this piece and it's going to have Bulgarian singing in it and Sardinian overtone singing, and it's going to have belting bel canto operatic singing in it. It sounds like it almost couldn't work. Right. But right. it, yeah, but it did, but it does beautifully. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to say about it before we play it? No. I mean, I think, I think that point that you just made, it, it makes me think, well, yeah, it, it works because we, we we do have a laboratory, you know that that yeah. I I the composers in the group, Caroline and I and Eric Avery, have written from time where we spend, you know, we spend several weeks together and we bring things in and we read and then we adjust. And I try to get the com the com commission composers to do that too. So it's a different. It feels like a a, a more exciting um, sort of horizon expanding process rather than composer in isolation, um, you know, thinking about what's possible and then delivering the finished product and having the ensemble perform it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it was, I thought it was cool also that you brought in this operatic bel canto, cause this is a sound that we really didn't hear on the first record. Mm. And we even hear it more like in the, in the next excerpt. Mm -hmm, play. Mm -hmm. um, That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so this, yeah, it was uh, a very cool. Um, all right, let's hear it. This is Otherwise by Brad Wells. <laughs>
And we just heard Otherwise by Brad Wells. And we're going to move on to our last excerpt. This is Suonare to Sound by Eric Dudley. Um, Hold on just a sec. I'm no doing a, an, an interview for a few minutes. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Eric Dudley... Um, can you talk a little bit about him? I was not familiar with with him or his name. Eric is is a an incredibly talented, uh, smart musician in the group. He's a conductor, um, singer, composer, pianist. Uh, he he actually was uh, an, an assistant conductor at the Cincinnati Symphony a few years ago for three years. Um, teaches. He's. Um, and he's he's written several pieces for the group, um, and this one I thought fit this album the best. Um, and and even though it's a it's I think it may be the shortest piece on the album, in some ways it's been the hardest for the group. It's just the the demands in terms of balance and tuning, um, in live performance have been pretty high. Um, <laughs> I, it's yeah, it's I can funny, imagine. yeah. So. Um, it was very satisfying to kind of settle in in the studio, be able to to try things again and get it just right. Um, and I'm super happy with how how this came out. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorite pieces on the album. I think it's really very special. Yes, definitely. You know, he it's an interesting idea too. I mean, he takes uh, this same poem basically that he wrote, and it's in English and Italian. Mm-hmm. And um, he basically has the lower voices present the English part of the poem or the English version of the poem in this kind of, uh, I wrote down kaleidoscopic presentation. Does that make sense? It's like a mm-hmm. sort of like an ever turning kind of, you know, thing that sort of flows. Yeah, I think kaleidoscopic is great because he actually, um, I don't know, I don't know how audible it is if you're not looking for it, but he, he encourages the singers to, um, move through the vowels at different rates, sometimes more in a in a standard classical approach where you hold a single vowel. You know, if you're singing a diphthong like light, um, you hold the ah as long as you can, and then at the very last second, you go through the e, so you get light. But at, at other times, or at the same time, he'll have some singers kind of um, smear that that transition over several beats, so it's light and and kaleidoscope i think is is the right word and that you're you know he he wants to bring out different colors different harmonics as as the singers move through the vowels in different ways yes and so he has this going on in the lower voices and then on top of that he has these two high female voices in the kind you know seeing the italian counterpart of the text in this kind of soaring bel canto you know, mm-hmm. chasing each other. This is sort of echo kind of presentation. Yeah. Yep. Um, and it's it's very beautiful and powerful, and at the same time, also kind of meditative. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, it's a like you said, I think yeah, it is a really special piece, um, and and really beautiful. Um, yeah, yeah. Anything else you want to say about it? I don't think so. Okay. Let's just, yeah, let's just have it speak for itself. This is Suonare to Sound by Eric Dudley. Suonare. 
just heard Suonare to Sound by Eric Dudley. And that's it for the excerpts. What's, uh, what is the, you know, what's coming up for the group? What's kind of the present and the future for Roomful of Teeth? You know, uh, we have a, a, a number of projects we're working on. There's a, um, a collab, very sort of large-scale collaboration that um, New Amsterdam presents and uh, Vision into Art, two New York-based um, arts organizations, are teaming up on um, uh, about uh, the Colorado River um, Kind of hist- it's a, a kind of history meditation on the the Colorado River and um, a musical and film um, production and five composers I think are involved in that um, Paolo Pasolini William Bertel who we've talked about um, Cheryl Warden who is a wonderful singer um, has a band called My Brightest Diamond John Luther Adams Pulitzer winner. Um, and um, uh, Glenn Kochke, uh, the drummer from Wilco, they're all they've written music, Roomful of Teeth, and Glenn um, and Jeff Jeffrey Ziegler, cellist, were the were the um, musicians, and we're recording that in a few weeks, and then that piece will be performed around the country for the next year and a half, and there will be an educational component as well. Um, big, big production, and we're excited about that. Yeah, that sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's going um, on tour. You said. Yeah, that. Well, it'll have um, sort of run out tours. I think we have a Houston performance lined up, and some others. I, I can't remember. Um, we also have a big Johan Johansson piece that we premiered a month or so ago at the Metropolitan Museum. We're doing that in Europe um, this fall, and I think we'll be recording that as well. Um, his drone mass uh, with Acme. Um, okay. Yep. So those are a couple of things. Um, yeah. Working awesome. with Ted Ted Hearn this summer. I mean, I could go on and on. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, lot, yeah. Lots of things. Lots of stuff. Well. Yeah. That's great to hear. Um, it was great to hear this album, and it was great to have you come on and talk about it. Um. And thank you very much for coming on, man. Well, thanks so much for having me, Anthony. I, I love chatting with you and, and really appreciate your your support and your attentive uh, listening. It's, um, really oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah. All right, man. Well, until next time, um, good luck with all your endeavors. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward to hearing what you guys do in the future. All right. You take care, too. Thanks. And thanks again to Brad Wells for coming on. It was great to talk to him again. If you'd like to have or find any information on Roomful of Teeth, um, go to roomfulofteeth.org. That is their website. Um, And they've got a new album, like I said, out right now, Render. If you'd like to send us an email, send it to allthecoolparts at gmail.com. You can go to our website at soundnotion.tv slash ACP. You can join us on Facebook and you can go to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review and that will help us reach more listeners. Uh, And until next time, I have uh, uh, no idea what's going to come up next time, but until then, see you then. (laughs) 